that's the tallest building in town. The library, because it has the most stores. We didn't own a car, so we would go to the library with a shopping cart and fill um, the shopping cart with our books. I was probably about six or seven, and my mom took me to our local library for a story time. I went with my dad every Saturday morning. I remember coming here like since we moved here when I was five, and every summer we do the summer reading program. As the years have gone by, you begin to realize how much you know, interesting stuff the library has to offer besides books. When I was growing up, my aunt would always take me to the library. I was in third grade, and then I loved the library, the Carnegie Library. I went to the story times that were at the library. The librarian was my dad. Hi, Steve. Hi, Shauna. <laughs> How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Last time we were talking about a document called What Does It Mean to Be Inclusive? And we were talking about what was on that document. And this time we were hoping to be more specific in how other libraries and our library is or is not being inclusive in their services. Right? This is obviously always going to be a work in progress, but I'm really glad that you and I have been able to talk more about these issues and, you know, things that libraries have been doing poorly for a long time. We talk about diversity and inclusion, but then we, we aren't specific enough, I don't think. And so I yeah. wanted to do an episode where we try to be more specific and how are libraries doing this work and what kind of work can we do in the future? Right. Knowing these things, it's easy to, to look at an organization and see all of the things that we're doing wrong or maybe not doing wrong, but just not doing. Yeah. Period. Sometimes it's it's harder to know exactly you know where to start fixing things. Right. It's such a big idea. And so we made this toolkit at the Inclusive Services Institute. And it was, there was one representative from each library system in our state. And we met earlier this year in March. And now we met again. And what we did over the summer is we broke up into groups. And my group was the Community Engagement Group. Okay. Aside from my group, there was also one that worked on facility and access, big, big topics. Yeah. There was one for governance and administration. And then there was another one for collections and resources. And so my team, community engagement, we came up with a definition of what that meant. And then we broke it down even further. Then we got together and we did a lot of editing and talking about what we wanted this toolkit to look like. The body has like a checklist and consideration statements in the form of questions. So does your library do this? Then you can say like, yes, no, it's in progress or it's not applicable. So when you get to answer these questions, you get to then consider, okay, well, if you are, how are you doing it? And you can kind of work through that. Okay. No, you're not doing it. Um, what's holding you back? And this is sort of a direct way of breaking these things down. And this is the thing that libraries will use internally? Or yeah, it, it is meant for directors and staff, um, boards. But when it comes to like the beta being released out into the wild, we're wanting to get feedback from not just people that work in libraries, but also people that we're talking about in the toolkit. We want to actually, because, you know, in the room, we only had us there, which was not everybody right. um, that we were talking about in the toolkit. And so we want to hear from those groups, too, and see if we're missing something, if something needs to be worded differently differently and get feedback that way too. I interviewed a couple of librarians from different systems that are outside of ours, the South Central Library System, and to get examples of how they're being more inclusive in their services and maybe what they think they need to be working on too.
My name is Renee Bew. I am the Programming and Outreach Coordinator at Hedberg Public Library in Janesville, Wisconsin. We do offer a lot more programming and um, collections and resources that are meant for specific populations. One of the programs is Faces of the World. And at that program, um, we have booths where people represent um, different countries, different cultures from around the world. And then we also have um, presentations, performances, and one of my favorite pieces is the International Fashion Show. That is fabulous, so much fun. And that you know brings in a lot of people from a lot of different cultures, but then we have very specific ones, like we do a Lunar New Year celebration and have an authentic lion dance troupe that comes and performs every year. And then we also do Dia de los Niños, Dia de los Muertos, and a variety of other ones as well. I was hired as the bilingual outreach coordinator in 2007, and that was really meant for me to work with the Spanish-speaking population, but only part-time. It very quickly, once they realized the connection I had to the diverse populations in the community, morphed into much, much more. And now as a full-time position um, doing the outreach and programming coordination, it definitely grew a lot bigger. And we do Mardi Gras and um, Fiesta Latina Peace Week. Over the years, um, for that programming, we have had... As our keynote speakers, in 2013, we had Pardeep Kalika, who is the son of the president of the Sikh temple in Oak Creek. And it was one year after that happened. And that was amazing. And then we also, another time, have had Buddhist monks from Deer Park. All of them came to the library and did a couple of peace chants. We have had... One year we did a panel of speakers, and we had a Franciscan nun, a Buddhist monk, um, an imam, and, um, oh, I feel like I'm missing somebody, probably a couple other people, but all representing different faith groups talk about what peace means for each of their faith groups. Wow. The first year we did a meditation as part of that program, I thought, oh, this might be where I get some pushback. I had a room of 40, no, I think it was 50 people all doing a meditation together. No, this was like a 30-minute meditation. And they all stayed. And Renee sobbed afterwards <laughs> because I was so surprised. And the year that the Buddhist monks from Deer Park were there and did the chants, there were also, um, there was a contingency of Muslims, and I have some of the best pictures of the Muslims and the Buddhist monks talking. And people came up to me, just random people who just happened to be at the library, not for the program, but happened to be at the library to pick up some books or use the computer, come up to me and say, this is so cool. Thank you for doing this. So that's probably, you know, one of my favorite experiences or favorite programs that got bigger really quickly, but in a really, really positive way, and it, I was able to use that to show the library staff 
that there might be topics that seem controversial or themes that you think we can't do programming around, yes, we can. And not only can we, we should. I think that there's a lot of things that you and I have talked about, about how our library is being inclusive or is not, and why or why not. And all we have time for today is to hit some topics or talk about some areas that we have, what we think is the most important maybe to start with, Yeah. in our opinion. Okay. Right? Yeah, that sounds good. And and I should say, you know, having, having these conversations with you in preparation for this, it's really hard to talk about. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's a reason why a lot of libraries don't talk about it. So right. Hopefully with this toolkit, it's going to help folks focus in libraries on what we can, what's feasible. Again, what can we actually work on? And what do we need if we feel like we can't work on something? Yeah. And reach out. And it's super important. And like some of the things that we'll talk about the Sun Prairie Library just really make it evident that it really touches on everything that we do. It's not just a theory. It's not just like theoretical, like how do we deal with this? It's like, you know, how do we how do we make organizational change? We wanted to highlight some things that we thought were things that we need to work on, things that we observed that we need to change. You and I started talking about what we thought was perhaps the best starting point when yeah. considering how our library could be more inclusive. And we started with accessibility and right. arriving at the building. We were literally just thinking, what would it be like just driving into our parking lot? And we were like, right. wait, transportation in some prairie. Yeah. So first of all, there's no, we have these taxis or these ride, ride share taxis. We don't have public transportation and it's a pretty big city. So it's not easy to get to the library. Uh, I mean, it is centrally located, but unless you have a car, it's a few miles walking. Not always, there's not always sidewalks on some of the roads. And so that's a barrier just getting to our building. Yeah. And then you get to the building. And, and you get to the building and you park in our parking lot, which is a pretty big parking lot. But then we've got like all these rocks these like huge i mean they're not it's not just gravel it's like these big like fist size chunks of rock thrown into i mean it's supposed to be i think some sort of a design it's a design yeah i mean it's, <laughs> it's a design but it's not easy i mean you park and you have to walk over these things or through these things so it's i mean it's immediately we do and we do have parking close to the building where you can avoid that but but not very many spaces right um so and we should say i mean we're are we are going through an architectural analysis because we know that our library building is not it's not ada compliant in a lot of ways and it's also been here for 20 years and the community has grown and changed over that time so i mean we're doing uh, we're doing a lot of changes but those changes are going to take time and money as well and we can only speak from our perspectives of course but we were trying to practice to take a moment to imagine what it feels like to walk up to our building to our doors once you do finally get here yeah and we do have very big heavy wooden doors again there are assisted doors you can push the button sometimes that works sometimes it doesn't depending on what's happened so we have three sets of doors you have to get through in order to get actually into the library itself. We haven't even gotten inside yet. No. And and then in between the second set of doors and the third set of doors, we have the friends have set up all these book sale carts. And they're like big, heavy book carts loaded with book sale books um, that you have to kind of go around in order to get to the doors. And again, this isn't a critique on the friends. It's no. just, you know, I mean. It's just for the space we've got. Right. So when you finally get through that final set of doors and then we have 
our security gates and the security gates were installed 20 years ago so uh, changes in ADA requirements for width like entryway widths for those things and these gates have not been changed and they're hardwired into the floor into the concrete so plus there are security so we can't just pull them out right you know we'd have to figure out some other solution to that they're clunky and you can't move them around and we have had people who said i know i can't fit my wheelchair through here you know once you get past all of that then you get into this huge library and i mean you know we've got these super tall ceilings that look looks beautiful you know it's, it's almost cathedral like but the light isn't really evenly distributed so it's dark and there's a lot of dark wood and we have signs but the signs are dark we have a service desk right there by the front door but our staff sits behind almost like a wall like a the desk has like a, an extension that goes up so that the person coming up to it has to stand in front of you and look over the top in order to see that there's somebody there um, it's all very off-putting. I mean, it's it's great for people who are 100% familiar with how libraries are supposed to look and feel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, libraries of the past, right? Especially. I mean, people of a certain age, maybe even like, would have the confidence to just walk in and know exactly at least to you know come to the front desk and start asking questions and talking. But that, those aren't all the people that we're serving in our community. Mm-hmm. So, in talking you know talking about access and barriers to access, uh, barriers to inclusivity, right from the start, there's a number of things just to get into the library and get to the front desk where you can ask your first question and then you finally get to the desk where the person is and what do they look like right well and that yeah that's the other thing i mean in a community that's fairly diverse well all of the front desk staff are white people Mm -hmm. and you know for some community members just coming up and and going to that desk i'm sure now this is where it breaks down because i don't i'm not them so i don't know how they feel Right. Um, but if I'm at that desk, I'm not them, and I don't know how they feel either. Mm-hmm. So it's it's tricky. I mean, when you come to a, especially a public service like that, you know, you want to you feel comfortable talking with someone who looks like you, and and you want you know, and you feel like you have at least that bit of of shared. So it's it's tough. I mean, it's a it's a like the idea of of a diverse library staff is something that all libraries in Wisconsin are struggling with. Many of them, and it's hard to figure out how to how to get around that. But again, you know, we're talking about things that we need to work on. Yeah, this is a problem in our in our library currently. Right. And so some action steps that we can take with this issue of accessibility, but just that what we're hitting on at least, is that we can start new discussions about our front doors. Right. That are really direct as to why they're a problem and how that's going to work and how it can right. be sustainable over the next 20 years. Right. <laughs> so when it comes to accessibility, we were talking about interactions with library staff. Yeah. And so you get to the desk and you're talking to somebody. We don't have a lot of diversity here in this library when it comes to our staff. So who do we hire? And what are our hiring practices like? And how have people been trained who are hired here or already working here? We're kind of continuing education. Are we providing people who have been here for decades? You know, have they been trained to work with a range of people with different abilities and backgrounds? You know, how are we engaging with people, for example, who are hard of hearing, who are blind or neurodiverse is that a part of our training at our library right it hasn't been and i mean i just thinking about the hiring that i've done in the past two years you know i mean we haven't specifically asked you know what's what's been your training on these things so that's definitely needs to be something that is talked about in a job interview for right. one um but like you were saying i mean a lot of a lot of our staff has been here for quite a while mm-hmm. and they're really nice and they're good at their jobs but like niceness and empathy it goes beyond that you know what we're talking about exactly you have to break it down and and be able to give examples of how you might handle a certain situation.
situation. And a lot of people I don't think could quickly come up with an answer because how could you if you haven't had to? Yeah. But when it comes to also interactions with library staff, we don't have a lot of incidences or like things that patrons find disruptful happen here compared to other libraries. And so I've noticed that we don't have very many and therefore we tend to be more reactive than proactive when it comes to problem solving these things like on the spot. People get nervous and a little unsure of how to handle certain things when in fact some things could be considered not incidences I think. They could actually just be more conversations but you know people feel pressure when there are patrons who are complaining about somebody or if there is some disruption that is loud or startling um, coming out of nowhere. So if you're not trained for it or having conversations continuously about something, you are left kind of lost. And so I think that, for example, I don't think that we treat everyone equally when it comes to quote unquote disruptions. Yeah, I think that's true. So for example, teens, um, a lot of our quote unquote incidences, I feel like that are documented are most frequently occurring between teens uh, of color. So it's often because like they're laughing loudly or talking loudly because we don't have a designated teen space for one and also teenagers are just teenagers too but people of color like this is what we actually end up documenting the most and we can do better we can have more conversations about why this is happening how to approach certain situations like with more understanding yeah so i mean as far as the inclusive services document that you've been working on do you think that would have suggestions or anything in it that i mean not maybe for this specific thing but this specific thing that we're talking about here which is proactive and reactive engagement well we need to talk about you know what do you think your body language is or what do you think your actions are doing when you are trying to problem solve things that happen in the library Uh, do you really think you are being kind and welcoming and treating everyone equally or are you targeting people I'm Leo Langby, and I work for IFLIS, which right now stands for the Indian Head Federated Library System. We're working on changing our name, so maybe by the time this airs, we'll have a whole different name. But and I, my title is Library Development and Youth Services Coordinator. The system I work for is in West Central Wisconsin, so we serve 10 counties, um, 54, 53 libraries. Wow. So. Could you give some examples of how Wisconsin Public Libraries are currently working to be more inclusive in their services? That's um, one thing that's really been happening a lot in our system, and I think statewide, is people really looking at fines and what a barrier they can be and really considering what they might be able to do. And in some of our communities, like the staff has decided this is something we really want to do, and they build up a really great case and um, they're prepared to have to go through a whole bunch of different steps and then they go to their library board and say this is why we want to do this this is what we want to do and their library board says yeah good idea and then you know so it's it's been kind of great to see that that there's been so much interest in that also there are other policies like um, in some libraries if you have a fine over ten dollars you can't use the internet computers even if you're going to keep fines there are things that you can libraries are considering, I think, in terms of um, what their policies are and what they give people access to, what you need to have in order to get a library card. And they might look to you to for support right. when it comes to, how do I do this? How do I bring this up to my board? Or right. what does a plan look like, maybe? And they support each other, too. 
Um, but we've, we've created some infographics related to that, you know, like, maybe you should think about this. This is how many people, this is how many kids in this county are homeless and are, you know, so that means that if they don't have a permanent address, that means they can't get a library card, then what does that mean? Oh, that's a lot of kids that don't get to get a library card. And I think a lot of libraries are also just generally trying to be aware and connecting with other um, groups in their community to find out what the needs are and what the assets are. And in the past couple of years, we've been doing a lot related to poverty because even though we have great diversity in size of libraries and we have rural and more urban libraries in our system, I think that um, that is kind of a constant. No matter what the other demographics are, there are people who are who are experiencing barriers to using the library because of poverty. We have libraries in our system who are seeing a lot of kids coming in who are, and this is, I guess, related to the poverty thing too, but coming in um, and spending all day in the summer at the library, all day with no nothing to eat. And um, so they're coming up with kind of um, solutions for that. And, working with community partners and having a lunch bunch or working with the um, school program for um, lunch and stuff like that. So they're kind of doing that and sometimes asking me for support, sometimes um, asking me, well, who is there some, who else is doing this? And so partly what I'm doing is just connecting people with other people. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yes. Or saying, have you thought about this? You have kids, or people will sometimes be like, and then these parents drop their kids off and they spend all day at the library and they don't have anything to eat and we don't know what to do. And then I'm able to say, well, here's what they're doing in Rice Lake. Here's what Cumberland's doing. Here's how these other places are. You know, here are some community partners you might be able to consider working with to make this happen. In Rice Lake, one of the things that they... The, one of the ways they explained it to people was just as a practical thing. Like, when people are hungry they're cranky and so they were experiencing some challenging behavior in their library that was just simply because kids were hungry you know what's a simple solution to that is to make sure they have something to eat so that in Fairchild which is a really tiny town in rural uh, western Wisconsin and south of Eau Claire they are so small and underfunded that they don't even have and their library is not automated at all but they saw a need in their community for GED services and people who didn't have transportation who needed to get their GED. And so they figured out a way to work with the community college that's closest and they come in and, you know, they have tutors. And it's like, it's incredible to me. I think it's really amazing that they saw this need and are figuring out how to make it work in their small town. Um, and then another thing that is kind of cool in our system in Polk County, which is northwestern, uh, no, no large towns in that in that county, and because of that, there's not a lot of support at the school level um, for the GLBTQIA plus kids. Um, so they are just starting a countywide library-based group. Mm-hmm. To um, and they're trying to figure out. They, I think, they're still in the kind of planning stages. And one of the people who was organizing it just moved away, so I'm not sure exactly where that's going. But I think that there's there's definitely potential for that. Figuring out ways to you know provide support, particularly in a rural community, I think it's especially oh yeah critical. 
some of the good things that we've done have been policy level, like getting rid of fines and getting rid of fees, um, which are barriers for library use for a lot of people. That was a discussion that we had to have, which is who are we excluding from even coming into the library because maybe they had fines in the past and they can't afford to pay them, so they're just not going to come back. Right. You know? Or they have fines and they're afraid to face the library staff because in the past maybe people have not been very kind about the fact that they have fines. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and what is our job? Is it our, is our job to teach people um, financial responsibility or mm-hmm. is our job to give people access to information right. you know, and to serve everybody in an equitable way? So, I mean, getting rid of most of our fees that's huge. It's really, yeah, it's really good. I mean, we we had fees on renting laptops. We have like a fax machine that people don't understand how many organizations still require a fax to be sent. Oh, yeah. You know, so there's people who come in every day. Every day meeting. we have a free fax machine that yeah. people can use. Yeah. So instead of charging a lot of money on faxes, we offer that for free. So that's good. We're also talking about reinstating our homebound delivery services. So we used to do that, but then because of staff constraints, we had to let it go. And now we're talking to other libraries that do it in the midst of figuring out how we can do it again, because it's really important. We've had some positive changes to the way that we do outreach and actually, you know, going to places in the community, meeting people that way. What we did is we decided that we needed to put more staff time towards outreach, that we wanted to make it more of a priority of getting out of the library. And so that's a really positive change in that we're looking at places in our community that we can be and see who we're not reaching. Right. Well, and that's another thing that we talk about a lot, which is that there's a lot, there's library users in the community, and then there's the non-users that we oftentimes don't know how to reach them or who they are. And it could even be like, no, we would really love it if you came into the library to use our space or our services, but maybe you'd like to work here. That, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like that's another point where we could be talking to people that might be really amazing people to work in a library, but don't realize that they could or should. Yeah. Oh. I mean, also with our programs, we've been doing a good job of trying to bring in programming that hadn't been here in the past. Like, for example, I've brought up LGBTQ topics that had never been brought up in like programming before. And we're also led by people that identify as LGBTQ. That is a good example of inclusive programming. <laughs> Also doing story times in Spanish. That's a good positive move. Yes. <laughs> it's good that our city has been talking about hiring practices a bit, even though there it hasn't worked out very well, I guess. I guess you could talk more about this and that, like how the city receives applications. Yeah. I mean, everything's digital now, of course, but the, the software that we use to get the applications strips the person's name and other identifying information, like their address, things like that, off of it completely. And even the attachments, like if somebody sends in a resume, that's not included. It's just the kind of just the raw data, what this person's done. Um, and then we can, you know, pick our interviews based on that. And then we get names and other information, which is supposed to help with, you know, bias towards certain types of names. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, like you said, we've done that a couple times now and kind of... How's that process going? <laughs> it's fine. I mean, we, it's good in the sense that we got really great people to work here. Um, but, but it would be great if that process, the end result of that process would be a more diverse library staff. It didn't necessarily look more like the community it's serving. That would be that would be ideal. So we wanted to give some concrete examples of how our library could be more accessible, how it could be more inclusive in its services, and also things that are in progress as to what we're doing at Sun Prairie Public Library and trying to be more inclusive. 
Yeah. Ultimately, this is about us serving a community that is always changing and us being uh, aware of that and knowing how to best do that. Um, yeah. And I think we just need to be a lot more direct in our approach. Yeah. So things like this really help. At least it helps me <laughs> to say, yeah, here's some things that I haven't been considering. And then how can you take action right. to change it? Right. What are the steps? What's feasible? There are things we can do in the meantime with what we have. I'm really happy that... <sighs> Happy that what? I can't wait to hear what you're going to say next. I'm really grateful and I feel very happy to know that I have colleagues that care about the same issues that I care about. And I feel like I do have support, even though I always just wish for more people to be in on the conversation, more perspectives, yeah. more backgrounds. But I'm just going to keep on trying to, you know, I'm just going to keep on reaching out and reevaluating and always working on listening and not just talking. I mean, this gives me, you know, it always gives me tons of things to think about and to try to figure out how to how to incorporate all these things in what in what I'm doing. <laughs>